I wanna get into Philippians. Can we get into that series today? Does that sound good? We're gonna be in Philippians chapter one, verse 12. I'm gonna read from the NIV version for this part this morning. Uh, before we get into that part, uh, who has a tattoo? Anyone got a tattoo? Come on, be honest. Yeah, Katie, put that hand up. I know you got one. Uh, who got tattoos? Yeah, yeah. Who's not been honest about the fact that I've got a tattoo? Somewhere over? No, anyway, okay. Yeah, if I, I don't have any tattoos because I don't want to like be like a hipster pastor with all these young, young, I know I'm young, uh, you know, with all these tattoos. But if I ever was to get a tattoo, it would be of a verse that's contained in the part that we're going to read today. If I was to ever get one, and may, who knows, maybe today it might inspire some people to go get some tattoos this week. Um, I want to get into heaven, so I'm not going to get any. But um, <laughs> no, it's bad theology. Okay, it's fine. One of the things to remember before we read this letter is where it's written from. Paul is in a prison. Not prison as we know it, ancient prison. Cold, damp, smelly sickness, no hygiene rules. Prison, no provisions normally even in prison unless anybody brought some to you and he finds himself in prison maybe 10 to 12 years after he had started or first preached the gospel in Philippi and sort of planted the church. He finds himself in prison maybe 12 years later. We're not quite sure where, whether it's Rome or Ephesus. There's different arguments of where he's from, but, but he's in prison and he writes to that church from 10 or 12 years ago that he was at. And uh, this, is, this is, it's just good to imagine that because it gives us some flavor and some texture. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. <clears throat> That's a bit different from our prisons too, chains. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The later do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Man, Paul knows how to keep the main thing the main thing. He's not getting lost in the motives and the different, as long as Jesus is getting preached. I love that. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice. Well, I thought you were in prison. Oh, yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Deliverance, one way or another. For me, this is the tattoo verse, okay? This is the title of the message. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ, 
to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, that is to die, which is better by far. And that's a challenging perspective. But it is more necessary for you. It's like, it's better for me if I get to die, but it's better for you if I stay alive. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through, through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on the account of me. A few more verses. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way may you, by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's in prison. Paul's writing from prison. Paul's trying to encourage us from prison. Paul's having some prison clarity that I think can speak to our lives' situations. Paul finds himself in prison. I didn't, could have got the team to build me a little prison, maybe some temporary fencing. Don't have any prison today, but here's my prison space, okay? My prison space. For you guys, I'm sort of through bars, so this is quite good. Yeah, you guys... Now, you guys, maybe I should just crawl inside there. Um, not that flexible. It's hard enough to get down here. Paul's in prison. Paul probably met Jesus 15 years maybe before he writes this letter, maybe 15 years. Jesus appears to him on the Damascus road. He has a vision of Jesus. He hears the words of Jesus, why are you persecuting me? He's blinded, he falls to his knees. He's led, he's shared the gospel, he's baptized. He goes away to the desert for a couple of years to receive revelation directly from Jesus. He comes back, he checks his revelation with the apostles. He submits it and surrenders it. He's put in a few different areas to serve the church. Then he's in Antioch and the Spirit of the Lord comes and it pulls him apart for special work and he's sent out with John Mark and they go on their first missionary journey and then they come back and then they go out on a second missionary journey and on that journey they stop in at Philippi the call of the Macedonian man and they, they preach the gospel and Philippi gets imprisoned in, imprisoned in Philippi and in 2 Corinthians Paul writes about all of the heartache that he's experienced in following Jesus he's in prison again 
writing about all of his imprisonments, his beatings, his shipwrecks, his floggings, his abuse, the, the pressure of holding the church in prayer. He served the Lord, yet he found himself in prison. Challenges our ideas of what we signed up for in the life of faith. I don't know what version of the gospel you got sold when you come to faith, but I imagine the pastor was light on suffering and heavy on blessing. Come to know Jesus, your life will get better. Come to know Jesus, everything will be good. It's a life like you've never known. Health, wealth, prosperity, glory to glory. Paul finds himself in prison. Not because he did anything wrong, but because he is extra faithful. You might not find yourself in actual prison, although plenty of people in this church have. Not normally for knowing Jesus, but for other dumb stuff. You might not find yourself in an actual prison, but prison's a pretty good metaphor. Prison in the Bible is a time of preparation. Prison in the Bible is a time of testing. Think of Joseph. Prison is a time of refinement. You could use other metaphors in the scripture like droughts, wilderness wanderings. I tell you, if you follow Jesus just right, you too will find yourself in a prison eventually. You'll find yourself stuck. You'll find yourself having hit the wall. You'll find yourself suffering in a unique type of way that you wouldn't have been suffering if you didn't know Jesus. And you'll find yourself with ill health at some point perhaps. You'll find yourself with some calamity. You'll find yourself with something in your life that you never thought would fall apart. And it's all, all hell's broken loose. And you're in prison and you'll be tempted to say, God, this wasn't the deal. This is not what I signed up for. God, I've been given, I've been serving, I've been praying, I've been putting others before myself. If I added up all my tithes, I could have had a lot of holidays, God. I've given up all those Sundays, I've given up all that time, I could have gone to the mountain. For what? For prison? For stuck? For hitting the wall? For feeling like I can't go any further? For the, the seasons of fruitfulness to give way to this? I'm not sure. God, I signed up for a fair exchange. This is not the deal. Perhaps God goes, you want fair exchange, do you? Aren't we thankful that his mercy 
knows no end. He's not in the fair exchange business. Prison, winter, stuck, watching out from the bars of our own season and others enjoying what we once enjoyed and experiencing what we find ourselves hoping and praying for. It's like they're rubbing it in our face. It's like God's rubbing it in our face. But prison's a time for refinement. It's a time for clarity. It's a time for fidelity. It's a time for preparation and for testing. Anyone find themselves in a prison here today? Mm. Me too. A time where it doesn't matter how much effort how much prayer, how hard you try, God's got you in this season. And it's not until he decides that you get to move on. It feels like a pause in the progress. And we hate that. We like the pause for the holiday, not the pause in progress. But it's not a pause, it's preparation. It feels like a cutting away. And even though we realize some things need to be cut, it doesn't mean it's an enjoyable process. It feels like we're stuck, but maybe God's just getting set up. What's next? It feels, I think this is the hardest part for me, is it? It feels disorientating, like all of the things you felt like you could hold on to and you knew about and you knew the way forward. Like all of those things, it feels like they're all gone. And it's disorientating, but clarity isn't far away. It's the stripping off of the armor that doesn't fit well. It's the cutting away of what needs to be pruned. And ultimately, it's the renewing of a dependence on God that is where life, that is truly life is. The life we signed up for in Christ is not health, wealth, and prosperity. It is Christ himself, despite circumstances. It's not a life that escapes suffering. It's a life that gives meaning and purpose to every suffering. So Paul in prison, man, he does what we all do in these seasons. He asks the big questions of life. Man, like God, I'm doing all of this and I'm here. I don't think this is what I... Look, look, if you're not in a prison, let me just, just prepare you. One's coming. Might be 10 years down the track. Might be young, younger people, newer in your faith, want you to have a faith that lasts. Prison's coming. Dig a well with the Lord that can survive prison. Sign up for a relationship with Jesus that isn't just about, I think Jesus is going to give me the best life possible and by best life, I mean everything going really good. And realize that's not what Jesus comes to bring. He comes to bring something so much better than that. Way less fragile than that. And so he's in prison. He's asking the big questions. His, 
Is Jesus, is following Jesus really worth it? Is the gospel worth preaching if it keeps throwing me in these prisons? He must have calluses and scars from all of the times he's been in chains. He must, the scars on his back from his whips. And, and look, I know we don't necessarily experience that in the same way, but maybe the bruises on our hearts and the disappointments and the things we live with, like it's real. Is it worth it? Man, there's people here in this, this church and you've been building your businesses for the Lord and you've been honoring him with your finances and you've been operating in faith and you've been doing it for year after year after year and just every time you think and you're holding on to hope that it's gonna turn around for the better, you find yourself here today and you're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I think it's better just to close it down. There's people, maybe you're farming, you're growing, and interest rates and the payouts, and you're just like, I've been, I love what I do, but I've been toiling and toiling and toiling, and I don't know if I can toil anymore. There's parents going around the same mountain with their kids. There's people stuck in the same old sins. There's careers that have taken a nosedive and a side turn and you wonder if everything you worked for and hoped for is ever going to turn out. Maybe relationships that have fallen apart in your life and you're not maybe torn between living and dying like Paul's torn, although I've had some dark suicidal days and so maybe you're out there and that's you and that's real. You might not be tossing up between dying and living, but you're, you're tossing up between whether or not you'll keep living in the same way or whether or not things you've lived for, you'll die to those. And so Paul gives us the clarity that prison is designed to give us. And I, I believe often our, our season in prison won't come to an end until we get this type of clarity where he goes, <laughs> whatever way it works out, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. I got the scars, I got the bruises, I got the disappointments, the blood, the sweat and tears, but when I consider all my options from prison, I do it all again. To live as Christ, to die as gain. He doesn't, it's interesting, right? Like he doesn't say to live for me, to live as for Christ. He doesn't say for me to live as because of Christ. He doesn't say for me to live as with Christ. He doesn't include another like word that we're always tempted. Oh yeah, for me to live, I'm going to live for Jesus. Oh yeah, for me to live, I'm gonna live with Jesus. He doesn't, it's real weird, he doesn't do any of that. It's like he's, it's not even proper English. He's writing in Greek, but it's not even really proper Greek either. It's like, for me to live is Christ. You're like, what do you mean by that? Do you mean for? 
Do you mean with? Do you mean because of? I don't know if I can communicate this well. I'm relying on the Spirit to help you a little bit here and help me a little bit here. He's trying to say all of those things and none of those things. He's just saying for me to live, it's, it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. He's, he's my philosophical idea of the world. He's my purpose idea of the world. He's my meaning idea of the world. He's my relationship in this world. It's just Jesus. It's all of that. He's my worldview, my life itself. My, you know, it's Jesus for me to live as Christ. It's, it's Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's not even me living for Christ, it's Christ living in me. So this life I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Colossians 3, verse 3, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God and when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. He'll go on in Philippians 3, I love this. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Christ, for me to live is Christ. It's John chapter one, for in the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. It's Christ. Everything that He existed in the beginning with God, God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and this life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. To live is Christ. It's Colossians 1 verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. He's supreme over all creation for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms. It goes on and on and on. It says he existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning. He's supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything for God and all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. To live is Christ. He is life. He's the reason for life. He's the source of life. He's the creator of life. He's the purpose of life. He's the giver of life. To live is Christ. I just, I think of the disciples when Jesus was preaching some hard truths about having to eat his body and crazy stuff like that. And it tells us that the crowds left because it was too hard to hear. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you gonna leave too? Because it's hard? Because this isn't what you thought you signed up for? You thought we were just gonna be like popular and prosperous? This isn't what you signed up for, you're gonna to leave too. And it says that Peter, on behalf of the other disciples, turns to Jesus and said, where else would we go? 
For you have the words that are life. Man, it's like when we're in these prison, it, it might, it's tempting to be like, God, I did all of this for you. This isn't what I signed up for. But if you're real honest, you'll get to the clarity moment that Paul got to when you realize he's still the best option. He's still the best option. There ain't another better option out there. To live is Christ because Christ is life. Not always life as we planned, but life in every plan. Life in every circumstance. Life in every season of life. Christ is life. So for me to live is Christ. Are you catching this? Just Jesus. You feel stuck. You feel disorientated. You feel disillusioned. You feel disheartened. Just Jesus. That's all you need. And that's more than enough. And then he goes, to die is gain. What stupid thing is that? We talk about death as loss, not gain. Why is it gain? Not because of some heavenly reward, although that's true, but that's not what he's talking about. That's not why it's gain. It's gain because he gets Christ in all of his fullness. It's not gain because he gets a mansion in heaven. It's gain because he gets Christ. That's why it's, that's why it's like for better for me to go because I get what I always wanted anyway, which is just Jesus. See, if you make your life about Jesus, death gets real exciting. Because you don't, as your body falls apart, and as whatever it is that takes your last breath, you're just on the precipice of gaining everything you ever really wanted anyway. There's no sense of you're losing the world, but it doesn't feel like loss because you were always trying to strip it off anyway to gain Christ. In your prison season, what will you conclude about the meaning, the purpose, and the reason for your life? Every one of us, whether through circumstance, calamity, or just the nature of faith, our faith will hit the wall. The faith that you have in your teens will not get you through your 20s. The faith of your 20s will not get you through your 30s. The faith of your 30s will not get you through your 40s. I could go on, but you get the point. What conclusions will you draw? What well will you dig? Will you go after Christ? For me to live as Christ. Here's the thing that the enemy, God has a purpose in the prison seasons, right? So does the enemy. You're never most vulnerable as when you are in those prison seasons. And the enemy wants to take two things he wants to take your faith and he wants to take your fruitfulness. He wants to take your faith and he wants to take your fruitfulness. He wants to take your faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
who wants to erode that, and that's very vulnerable in the prison seasons where you're used to experiencing him near, you're used to experiencing him through different things in your seasons of life. He wants to take that, and he wants to take your fruitfulness because if you don't attend to God in the prison season, even though the prison doesn't feel very fruitful, it's the winter that's getting ready for the spring that's yet to be revealed. And if he can cause you to abandon ship, to abandon purpose, to abandon Christ in prison, he'll get rid of the future fruitfulness that's still to come and be experienced in and through your life. So it's easy for us to go, yeah, to live as Christ. That's cool, Joel. Like to live as Christ. Um, when I get out of this prison, I'll do that. <laughs> when I get out of this season, yeah, yeah I'll do that. I'll, li I'll live as Christ. I'll live for Christ, I'll live with Christ. But right now, this just sucks and I need God to change that. And when that changes, yeah, yeah, for me to live is Christ. That's not how it works. Paul wasn't saying when I get out of here to live is Christ. He's saying in here for me to live is Christ. What does it look like to live I just want to speak to the people that are in prison seasons. I want to give you some things, some tips that maybe are going to help you. One day you're going to hit one and hopefully you can go back and find these notes so you can remember what I said or listen to the podcast and be like, what do I do? How do I live as Christ in the prison season? Because it's a bit different than the other seasons. How do I do it? And I think the answer is in Acts chapter 16, where Paul's actually in prison in Philippi. So good symmetry here. It says in verse Acts 16, 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with rods. They were, they were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, clamped their feet in the stocks around midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were, What? And the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Saul, Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, ran into the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. He and everyone in his household were baptized and they brought them into the house, set a meal before him and he, his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. To live is Christ, even in prison. In prison, pray like you've never prayed before. I think one of the gifts of prison is to throw you into a dependency on God that's easy to miss when life is going as you hoped. But the gift of prison is prayer. Because if the devil wants to take your faith, prayer keeps building your faith. It keeps you strong with Jesus. You don't wanna pray. You're tempted to be like, life sucks. I'm disappointed. I'm angry with God. Pray that. Pray those prayers. Pray the real honest prayers. 
I don't know what Paul and Silas were praying, but we have these images like, Kumbaya, my Lord, Lord, you're so good. This is amazing, it's all for you. Uh, That's why I'm not on the worship team, you know. Uh, One of the many reasons. But maybe they were like, God, this is a bad day. Here we are again, in prison again, bleeding again. But you know what? They didn't just think it, they prayed it. They took it to God. They let, they let it be intimacy. They let it be dependence. They let it be deepening. Pray. And they sung, they praised. They praised. Our faith is a confessional thing. It's something we, we, we confess. We tell ourselves we believe it. We tell ourselves it's true. I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of it. It's just, it's confessional. Like people are like, how can I know that I know that I know? It's like, oh, you confess it. It's faith, it's belief, it's, it's, it's confessional. You don't always feel it but you confess it nonetheless. Christ is dead, but surely He is risen. It's confessional. God, You are good. I'm not really seeing Your goodness right now, but I'm confessing Your goodness because I believe it to be true. There is a sacrifice of praise that you can bring in prison that you can never bring in any other season of your life. Let your voice be heard. It's truly, a, you, if you've been in prison, you know that singing those words costs you something because you don't necessarily feel it, but you're singing it anyway and trusting the Lord. You're not letting the devil take your faith. You've got to continue to declare, He is good. Life sucks, but He is good. I'm going to be okay. He is good. I, you never let me down. I feel really let down, but I know in the end, you're never going to let me down because you're good. When you get to heaven, it'll be obvious to praise. It won't be a praise of faith because God will be revealed in all of His glory and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess because it won't be up for grabs. But here on earth, it's by His Spirit and there's hints and there's shadows and there's whispers and it requires faith that confesses and praises nonetheless. I wanna get to heaven and I want to get to heaven, of course. But I want to get to heaven knowing I brought the sacrifices that only I could bring on this earth of praise. Bring the, the praise. And lastly, pay attention to what God is doing in prison. Pay attention to what God is doing in prison. For most of us, we're so fixated on escaping the season that we're missing the season. If we were Paul and Silas, the moment the shackles had come off, we would have been running out of that prison, right? But Paul's like, hey, hey, Silas, hey, just wait, just wait a sec. I know, crazy, the doors are open, the stocks are falling, crazy, man. How, how, what is going on? But let's just pay attention because God might not be done in prison yet. That's the jailer. I think he's pulling his sword. I think he's gonna take his life. Stop! We're all still here. Here's what you must do to be saved. 
We're so focused on constantly being delivered from our prison seasons. We're not paying attention to what God's doing in the prison season. Not just in us, although that's one level, but what He wants to do through us to other people. Pretty much all of Paul's letters written in prison. It's like the guy was so on the go, God had to throw him in prison so he'd put pen to paper so we'd have something to live off for the next 2,000 years. I love that he's in prison. He's not like, oh, this sucks, girl. He's like, man, how can I encourage the other believers even in my prison season? The temptation in prison is to become very selfish, very self-focused. Pay attention to what God is doing. He's asking us to be others-focused even from our prison season. Pray, praise, and pay attention because deliverance is coming, right? Ben can come and join me. Deliverance is coming. It absolutely is. Paul said, I'll be sure of this, that for your sake, I'm getting out of here. Because the purpose of wilderness is always to lead us to the promised land. The purpose of a drought is so we might appreciate the rain. Winter, as far as when I've been alive, always gives way eventually to spring. Sometimes it's early, sometimes it's late, but it always gives way to spring. And like Joseph, faithful in prison, was longer than he wanted, but when he got out, it was the perfect time for what God had next. Deliverance will come. You don't have to worry about that. Deliverance will come, but in prison, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Let's stand to our feet if you're willing and able. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We have an opportunity this morning to pray, to praise, and to pay attention to what God might be doing in our lives. So in this time of worship, let's sing at the top of our lungs. Let's ask God, what are we missing in our circumstances that needs our attention right now? And let's let Him move among us, even in our presence.